This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your host, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. We are back after the Jets had their bye week. Uh, another Jets game, another loss. But Michael, back-to-back Jets games where it was pretty much the perfect outcome of the rookies playing well, um, in addition to some veterans. But Overall, the Jets can't get it done in the fourth quarter, which adds another loss on their resume and, and leads them closer to Trevor Lawrence. But this game against the Chargers had some pretty promising signs. Uh, so let, let's break it down today. Uh, but first, Michael, how you doing, man? Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, uh, this is another game that is uh, in, in the end a really good outcome because you you know continue moving towards that ultimate goal of getting Trevor Lawrence in that number one pick, which is you know, not just something that's a novelty, but something that is extremely valuable for the future of this team. But at the same time, you have a lot of young players play well who can be a part of the solution going forward. So back-to-back competitive losses, and that's exactly what the Jets need right now. So things are going pretty well here over these last two games. Yeah, and really quickly, before we hop into it, I should shout out uh, that we are officially sponsored by Manscaped. So if you go to manscaped.com and use the code COOLYOURJETS, you get 20% off and free shipping on anything you buy there. Highly recommend it. Uh, But Michael, yeah, going off of your point, I think what I was most impressed with was Denzel Mims in this game. And it was a quiet first half for him. I think Adam Gase had basically had the quote that, that you were telling me about. Um, that Jay Feely said, which was essentially that the Chargers are worse in the second half, and that's when we were going to get aggressive. And the first half didn't target Mims at all, and the second half they started going his way. And, and it seems like at least through the first three weeks, or the first four weeks of Denzel Mims's career, the more you target him, the more good things happen. Michael, what did you see from Denzel Mims in this game um, that, that gives you even more hope that he can be a long-term starter uh, on the outside for the Jets? I, I mean, I'm really impressed with what Denzel Mims has done so far. I, you, you can just compare him production-wise to what other guys in this team have done, whether it's Chris Hogan, Cager, Josh Malone. And, and, you know, I'm just talking about in terms of the production. Like, those guys have played in the same situation, and they haven't done anything. But Mims has managed to, when the ball has come his way, to make plays more often than not, make some really good contested catches. Uh, so it's so really just the point mentioning those guys is the fact that, you know, Mims's numbers aren't amazing so far. He's averaging 55 yards per game right now, which is fantastic for a second round receiver. But in this situation, I think it's just really, really promising um, because again, like he's not getting targeted that much. Joe Flacco has had stretches where he's been really conservative when he has been targeted. Uh, he's had to make some really tough catches like he did in this game. And there have been throws, whether it was Darnold or Flacco, 
where they were throwing it behind him, limiting his potential to pick up Yak or making him, again, have to make tough catches. But he keeps delivering, making these tough catches, picking up first downs. He had three first down catches in this game, and he drew two first downs through penalties. So he just continues to produce. He's actually the first Jet in team history to post at least 40 yards in each of his four games. So the way he's playing right now, I'm extremely encouraged. And when he does get to play, you know, in a system with a quarterback that offers some stability, he's, I think he's going to be really good. I don't think there's a limit to how uh, productive, how dominant he could be. Am I saying he will be amazing? It's way too early to say that, but the way he's played so far definitely has me excited about his future. Yeah, and he's really the, the first Jets receiver since 2015, Brandon Marshall, to display that tenacity and that physicality on the outside. Uh, and before Brandon Marshall is probably, what, Braylon Edwards, and before him, Keyshawn. Um, and, and when you have that physicality on the outside, it opens up so many things for your offense. And that was what we saw from him at Baylor. Uh, and, you know, the, you mentioned him drawing those two penalties, and some people might shrug that off as, you know, those are lucky or whatever. But that just points to, to his skill and his physicality, forcing those corners to have to get sloppy and have to hold on to him um, because that's just kind of the receiver that he was at Baylor. He, he didn't create amazing separation. It was what he did at the point of the catch uh, to, to high point the ball, to, to create that last second separation, to be physical without drawing offensive penalties. Um, and look, if Joe Douglas only gets Makai Becton and Denzel Mims right from the 2020 drafts, which I don't think he will, we'll talk about some of the other guys in that class that I think showed some promise. But if he can come out of that draft with a franchise left tackle and a franchise receiver, that's already the best Jets draft class in what the last decade. Um, hopefully they can get a few more pieces uh, and not just complete bums the rest of the picks. But the first two picks of Joe Douglas's draft class, which are the most important picks, uh, it seems like he's he's really nailed them. And then when you remember that they traded down and still got Mims, uh, that just again points to Joe Douglas's evaluation of the board, knowing that hey, either Claypool, either Mims, one of those Van Jefferson was going to be available. Um, but obviously getting a guy like Mims has just been a huge boost to this offense. It hasn't really translated to wins, but as you said, you can't really blame him in this situation. When you look towards next year, because at this point we're only doing these podcasts looking for next year, there's only six more games to go. Obviously, we're going to have a whole offseason full of Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, free agent, head coach talk. Um, but when you look at the type of receiver Joe Douglas should look to pair Denzel Mims with, because that's going to be a big emphasis this offseason is that they didn't build around Sam Darnold. They have to make sure that they build around whoever the young quarterback is, even if it somehow remains to be Sam Darnold. They need to surround him with obviously continuing building up that offensive line, but with playmakers on the outside. I think Rashad Perriman has done enough in recent weeks to say, you know what, look, this guy is a great receiver number four. Is he receiver one? No, but we kind of knew that. We kind of knew that he was probably more of a receiver four, can get streaky, can get hot, good depth, great deep threat, but can't really count on him for consistency. Uh, and his, his injury history is, is a little startling, but I would definitely be in favor of bringing a guy like Perriman back to be that receiver four. But I still think you're missing that, that one more guy on the outside. Michael, what type of receiver should Joe Douglas look to pair with, with Mims and with Crowder? Obviously, the guys in free agency, you have two really physical guys in Allen Robinson and Kenny Galladay. Are they too similar to Denzel Mims' playing style? You have a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, but he's probably best in the slot where Crowder currently is. They could cut Crowder and free up $10 million and try to allocate his money elsewhere, but I don't think that makes much sense. Uh, and then you could look towards the draft. But as far as a prototype for a receiver to pair with Mims and Crowder, what do you think Joe Douglas should look for? Well, usually when I'm looking at weapons to build a team, I'm 
usually my philosophy is just to get as many weapons as you can. Uh, not necessarily ignoring fit, but you just want to get as many weapons as you can uh, and then make the, the fit between the players secondary. At least that's the way I usually look at it. I think the fit in the offense. I mean, we, we shouldn't really Gordon, take your word for that, though. Your fantasy football team is pretty bad. So that's true. That's yeah, true, Michael Nanya. But, but we are talking about fantasy, not real football. <laughs> so I was just going to say that GM Michael Nanny is a little different than analytics nerd Michael Nanny. But I guess <laughs> I guess I did ask you. But go ahead, Michael. Yeah. So I mean, I think what I'm just getting at is that fit in the offense is important with the coordinator and just the overall scheme. I think more so than the players next to each other. Because I think there are, are a lot of teams in the league that have, you know, players with similar skill sets uh, and that both thrive in the same offense. So I don't think you necessarily need to get someone with a different skill set to Mims. But if we are looking at the things that Mims is best at, it's easily so far been his contested catch, jump ball ability. Uh, and even though we haven't seen him targeted in the red zone, because we have to evaluate Frank Gore and see what he's got because he's such a young player so unproven. Uh, so because we're valuing Frank Gore, haven't been able to see Mims in the red zone, but you assume he is that, you know, goal line fade type of guy, sort of like Marshall in 2015, uh, that can get those catches for you in that area. Uh, and obviously he's been a vertical threat in terms of jump balls. Uh, we've seen some stuff over the middle, a few throws into the flat, but I think you're looking at more of a guy who can give you, uh, who he can run screens through, who can uh, thrive on slants over the middle, post routes, uh, also, you know, stuff against the sideline and in intermediate range, out routes, comebacks, things like that. And I, I do think Mims can develop a lot of these parts of his, uh, a lot of different parts of his game, such as the things I just mentioned. Uh, but, but still, I think that, you know, the main thing he brings you is that contested catchability, the blocking, the red zone. So if you are looking for uh, someone who brings things that aren't necessarily Denzel Mims' best abilities, I think it comes down to yak ability uh, and play over the middle and mostly in that intermediate range. Yeah. And I agree with, with your overall sentiment, even if I think your, your fantasy football GMing skills are pretty garbage. <laughs> I think that, yeah, if you have the opportunity to bring in a guy like Alan Robinson, you absolutely have to do it. Even if their skill sets are, are kind of similar um, because it's, it's really just talent on the outside. And in today's NFL, it doesn't really matter we haven't really seen it with a guy like Gase who's just so scheme specific and doesn't like to go outside the box. But if you bring in a head coach or even just an offensive coordinator that knows how to build an offense around his personnel strengths, you can get two physical receivers and a guy like Crowder and build an offense around that uh, and have success. I also think the other thing to consider, and this isn't always a rule of thumb with receivers, but I think you should look at the quarterback that you have. The bills are a good example. They did this with Josh Allen. His first year, they tried to surround him with big body Kelvin Benjamin types because they figured, you know, you know, six, five Josh Allen, he's going to throw it up to these big body receivers and they can bring it down. They just wanted to play basketball. But then they, what they realized is that Josh Allen struggled a little bit with his accuracy. Which, so what they decided to do was to get smaller, quicker receivers who can create that separation. So then Allen has a wider area to hit his receivers and they, they lack some physicality, but you see how, how well it fits Josh Allen's um, strengths. And if they do end up with Trevor Lawrence, I think it is important to, to look at the type of receivers that come out of Clemson. Not always, but often they're these big body physical type of receivers. And that's what, uh, that's what Trevor Lawrence has basically played with at Clemson. So if you're pairing Allen Robinson and Denzel Mims, you know, that clearly fits well with Trevor Lawrence's play style, because that's essentially what he's been doing at Clemson. Um, but Obviously, exciting stuff from Denzel Mims. It seems like he's getting better each and every week. I know there was that one play on the fourth down where, you know, 
might not have caught it, might have been out of bounds, but he still ended up bringing down the ball. They still got the yards. I think his knee was probably down. Michael and I were trying to decide after looking at the replay. Yeah, um, we were talking about it. I think I think you can argue he got it. They, I think they might have overturned it if they looked at it, but it counts. It, it's right. in the stat sheet, so I'm, I like it. I agree with it. I yeah I think I mean any any positive Mims highlights is, is what I'll take but uh, it's certainly the physicality and his ability of, of tracking the ball has been impressive I mean you could see it in college from him I mean, he had plenty of spectacular catches on the sideline and he's already had a few that come to mind the one against Kansas City and a few today um, yeah he's a really exciting prospect for the Jets and they haven't really had a young receiver like that uh, in a long time and Joe Douglas wants to build through the draft so if he doesn't if he goes into this offseason with a similar mindset of last year. I think he'll be a little bit more aggressive than last year's free agency. Um, but if he goes in with a similar mindset of not overpaying, and, and I do think Allen Robinson is going to get a monster deal this year. Uh, and same with Kenny Galladay and same with Juju Smith Schuster. I definitely think that end of the first, probably more so the beginning of the second is a great place to get a guy to pair with Mims, a similar area where they, where they targeted Mims last year. And if you can bring in, let's say a guy like Rashad Bateman, that's a very popular one uh, between Jets fans, Chris Olave, Whoever it is that you compare with Mims, Crowder, bringing a guy like Perriman back, uh, and then maybe you sign a you know a lower tier um, free agent uh, like Demarcus Robinson or, or something like that to build out your receiving core. Just give yourself some depth. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what what Joe Douglas is this offseason to build around who his quarterback is because I think he's caught some flack for how he built around Darnold this offseason. But I I don't know how committed he was into immediately throwing a lot of assets there. I think he was way more focused on the offensive line. Um, speaking of the offensive line, Michael, what do you think of their performance today? Because I think they've, they've been getting better each and every week. That's, you know, a position that obviously depends a lot on chemistry. And of course it was tough to start the season with no preseason, no spring training reps. Um, just what were your thoughts on their performance? Obviously Makai Becton returned. Um, yeah, your overall uh, take on that. And then we can go into the specifics with Becton and McGovern and whatnot. I mean, much like Adam Gase got to watch the film once it comes out during the week. <laughs> But I mean, from at least, at least on first watch, the biggest thing that stood out to me is that, and, and this has been every time this has happened this season, but when Chuma Idoga goes out and he's replaced Becton in games earlier this season and Fant in this game, but when Idoga goes out there, that's when you can really uh, understand how, for Becton, how good he is, and then Fant, just how solid, decent, respectable he is, uh, because Idoga comes in there and then you just notice him time after time, whether it's getting beat and holding someone to prevent a sack or giving up a clear sack or the rushing production, just flying out the window. Uh, you can, that's when you really appreciate what those two guys have done this season when Idoga goes in there. So when Fant left in this game, Idoga made some big mistakes and, you know, we, he actually was one of the guys who we were kind of hoping would develop the season and, you know, maybe even beat out Fant in the off season for that starting job. That didn't happen. He hasn't been able to show anything when he's come in. Uh, so that pick by McCagnan does not seem to be panning out. Uh, so they're definitely as, gonna... as do most Mike McCagnan draft picks. That, that is true, as do most of his draft picks. So it's not like that's a surprise. But he did play, so that kind of makes him above average compared to other <laughs> day two McCagnan picks. But I mean, he didn't drive a, his car the wrong way down the Lincoln Tunnel, or or just that's, never that's true. So in, he's actually a home run by max standards. <laughs> but I, I mean, that's kind of stood out most. But the running game was pretty good in this one. Both P Ryan and Gore averaged 4.1 yards a carry. And, and their yards per carry are never going to be super high because you need 
you need to have those uh, home runs to get it to like a five, a six, and ne- neither of those guys seem to have the speed to do it, or at least P. Ryan hasn't showed it so far. But 4.1, when you're just getting chunk gains, is really solid, and that's what they were doing in this game. So it, it looked pretty good for the most part. Again, I'll have to see throughout the week because the one broadcast view is hard to judge. But it, I, I def- And this is a tough front, too, with uh, Joey Boza. And Melvin right. Ingram. So uh, I, I think for the most part, especially Becton, I, I know there was that one play that stood out where he got like flattened when he was pulling outside. Uh, but uh, other than that, I don't recall too much damage right. against him at all. So it, it seemed pretty good. On, and all, only one sack for Flacco. Uh, not that the sack total matters more than the pressures because sacks is more of a quarterback thing. Pressures is what matters most. Uh, but it, it, it did seem pretty solid upon first watch. Yeah, and you talk about Becton getting flattened. Yeah, I mean, that's going to happen to a rookie. And, and he's been so amazing this year that I think you can give him a pass. It didn't really um, – he still had an amazing game. So it wasn't a huge impact on his overall grade for this game. And looking at Becton, you know, I think there are some concerns about his durability. And that was kind of a thing coming out of college with his weight. Um, and, and would that lead to long-term health concerns with him? I think with this, it seems to be, and he did return to the game after he left for a brief period of time, but it is notable just because he has been, he's been pulled in in multiple games at this point in the season. It seems like it's the same issue. And in that case, that just points to poor management by the jets of his injury and not necessarily the fact that he's injury prone or anything. If, if Beckton was injuring a lot of different parts of his body, different shoulders, different hamstrings, ankle, whatever, then you could start to say, you know, this guy has a durability problem, but when it's the same injury getting re-aggravated over and over again, it just points to the jets mismanaging it. And I'm not saying necessarily they completely have, he did finish the game. He played well, but it's just something to monitor. I mean, we saw him clearly mismanage it on Thursday night football against the Broncos and he's had to miss multiple other games after that. So with Becton, I'm kind of of the mind that we know he's good. If he's having any issues at all with that, that shoulder, why play him through that? Just let him sit, let that fully heal. Um, you know, I don't even know if that's something you could ha- need surgery on in the off season or something. Offensive linemen tend to, to deal with a lot of silent injuries and you hear about him after the season. I think the shoulder peck could be a lot worse than we're hearing. And I think that the jets in an Owen 10 season at this point shouldn't be throwing him out there unless He's mathematically eliminated. You're right. One of the earliest teams to ever get mathematically eliminated. Um, Even with seven teams now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just unbelievably sad. Um, But when you look at Fant and Adoga, I mean, that's the perfect case study on a Mac offensive lineman and a Douglas offensive lineman. And you said this to me right at the beginning of the year. And then I tweeted it out today about when you look at Fant, a lot of people hated that signing i mean you have to yeah, kind of me, remember me included me included you included i will say I, I was i was i was shouting let's give fan a chance here but i also like Deshaun kaiser more than patrick mahomes so i guess my evaluation skills can go out the window <laughs> but i will say that with george fan he got a lot of flack for that signing to give it context he was the first signing uh for joe douglas um after a long day of nothing happening he got three years 30 million which a lot of people thought were, was way too much for a backup tackle on a team that desperately needed offensive line play in Seattle and still does need offensive line play. Um, And it got a lot of flack. And those are the type of signings that deserve the most scrutiny from a GM, a signing that goes against the curve um, or against, against the grain is what I meant to say against the grain against common belief uh, gets a lot of scrutiny. And it turns out to be a good signing. I mean, it just points to 
good evaluation skills from Douglas. And the only reason I liked Fant, I mean, obviously he had a few Fant cakes that I retweeted, but it was more so just, I firmly believe in Joe Douglas's ability to evaluate offensive linemen. Uh, he gave him a big deal. I knew he clearly believed in him. And of course that deal was more like a one year, 10 million, three times in a row. And they could cut him after this year if they really wanted to free up that space. Um, but those are the type of deals that, that really deserve, um, you know, the most praise for Douglas. Uh, it's easy when you're picking number one to take Trevor Lawrence, but it's a lot harder to find a guy like George Fan, who in some ways was a hidden gem, came in immediately a captain and has held his own at right tackle. And I'm of the mind, and I, I don't think I would have said this at the beginning of the season, despite praising, uh, or not necessarily praising, but at least giving George Fan a, uh, that signing a, a chance. I think at the beginning of the year, if you asked us, it said, okay, George Fan's going to be the, the right tackle this year, and then they'll cut him. But now I'm of the mind where I think, look, I think he's earned that $10 million contract, assuming he plays well for the rest of the six games. Obviously, he had an injury today. Well, hopefully he's all right and can finish the season. Um, but even if he doesn't, if you get an indication that's not a long-term injury, I'm of the mind that, yeah, you bring Fant back. You let him you know, start next year. You're, you're confident in your two tackle spots. And then you use your assets and address the other needs of the, the team. I don't think right tackle right now, or I guess both tackle spots are a huge need for the Jets. I think down the line, you're going to want to replace Fant probably in my ideal world would be next off season is when you would replace him. Um, but George Fant though, and, and Michael, maybe you could talk a little bit more about this has been a really great signing when you consider how much hate it got at the time. Yeah. And I think that's a great point you made about what it says about Douglas's evaluation ability, because that's definitely something that I was saying before the season, that this is going to be a signing that's going to tell us a lot about uh, Douglas's evaluation ability, because like you said, you can pick Trevor Lawrence, number one, you could, you know, make big money signings. There's not too much scouting ability involved with that, but for Douglas to attack a key position of need at right tackle with a guy who was uh, a backup in Seattle, mostly playing as a six lineman only had, a, I think less than a season's worth of career starts actually starting finishing a game at, uh, either left tackle or right tackle to sign a guy like that as your starting right tackle key position of need with a relatively large contract is a pretty big gamble and based on his lack of playing time you know to do that it has to be based on something that you've seen on film because his production wasn't there in terms of either reputation playing time uh, his production with pressures anything like that so for you to make that signing you have to see something on film and either both Douglas and just the, the staff as a whole um, to believe in that guy. And so far we've seen really positive development from him uh, and it, he's been a solid starter for them so far. I would be more than okay with keeping him around on his $9.4 million price tag next season, which I believe it is. And I think that's only supposed to be somewhere around 10th most among right tackles uh, as of right now next season, which for the way he's played, no, he hasn't been the 10th best right tackle, but if he's been competent, which I believe he has been, that's a price you pay at a position that is very important and hard to find competent starters, as we see every time one of these two guys go out. So uh, it, it's a very positive thing for Douglas and what it tells us about his scouting talent uh, right. for him to be able to, for the, for the fan signing to be looking good so far. Yeah, and the other one that got some scrutiny was Greg Van Roten, who I think at the beginning of the season did not play well. I was not a fan of him. He, he backed Adam Gase publicly, which didn't help him in the eyes of Jets fans. But as a fellow Jets fan, 
um, there was some hope that, okay, this guy could be relatively good. And I thought he, I thought he's been a lot better the last few weeks. I, I, I'm not necessarily sure how he played in this game, Michael, maybe you can give us a better uh, insight. As you said, it's a lot harder to tell on, on the broadcast angle than the all 22, but he's a guy that I thought uh, that I think they could cut Alex Lewis and bring back Van Roten. I think they should bring back one of them next year. Whoever plays better, you bring them back and then you have an incumbent starter and then you can continue to address the offensive line in the draft and free agency. What are your thoughts on, on Greg Van Roten? And then the next guy would be Connor McGovern, who I think has been underwhelming. He had a penalty today. And I think he was the guy that we thought, okay, him and Becton are our long-term pieces right now. McGovern will be here next year, but I think he's been fairly disappointing and potentially could be a guard next year for the jets. There's some rumblings that that's where they, they'd like him to play. So he could be sliding over to guard, but what are your thoughts on the jets interior offensive line thus far through the season? Well, like, like you said, Van Roten, the first four games, I mean, he was brutal. He was probably the worst player in the offense. And uh, <laughs> at that point, it seemed like cutting him was going to be a no-brainer. But he just turned it around on a dime the past five games. Coming into this one, he only allowed two pressures over that span. I believe he was pretty good in this game. I don't remember a ton of interior pressure. I do remember one nice pancake he had in the run game, but one play does not make the entire game, but uh, at least coming into this game, he's playing a lot better and seeming like uh, easily the most competent interior offensive lineman of the trio. So Van Rowan, at least the way he's played the past few weeks, uh, because the first four weeks still count and he has has to keep this going throughout the rest of the season. But the way he's played so far definitely looks like a good, uh, at least good depth piece next season. But if you can't upgrade, can be a stopgap starter for you next year. And that McGovern at center has definitely been disappointing. Pressure numbers way up from last season. Uh, were very good last year. This year, he's been right up there at, in that number one spot the whole season. But I do think, and, and look, he has been disappointing for sure. But I think it's worth uh, considering the guy who's been playing to his left, Alex Lewis, because most of the issues uh, in terms of the pressures he's allowed uh, and even in, in the run game, most of the issues have been on that side, whether it's been combo blocks, picking up blitzes, stunts, things like that. And not that Lewis, everything's Lewis's fault because again, McGovern still has not quite been the player he was last year, but Alex Lewis has been extremely bad the entire season. Right. And I do think that's contributing to making McGovern look a little bit worse. And there's still, you know, he's the center, you know, the entire uh, core of the communication of a unit that is entirely thrown together five new pieces that had a limited off season. So that could be hurting him as well. Uh, but, but still, I think you do want to see more from McGovern at this point. He's been below average. I don't think terrible, even though his PFF grades and pressure numbers are, I don't think he's been terrible just considering all those things I mentioned, Lewis, the communication and in the run game, I think he's been not, not necessarily great, but pretty good. Uh, probably decent to solid in protection is where most of the issues have been, but I don't think he's been bad. He's probably been below average, but I do think the Jets paid him to be better than that. He was a top 10 guy last year, and that was his first season as a full-time starting center. So, you know, you maybe even expected progression off of that, considering uh, the lack of experience at the position. But uh, so I definitely would uh, hope to see him play better down the stretch because he's going to be back next year. if They can't escape that contract after this season. Uh, so like you said, maybe they could move him over to guard if they find a center they like in the draft or free agency. Um, but I, I do think the best case scenario is seeing him uh, kind of get back to the level he was at in 2019 
And then you, you can go into next season with him as, you know, he's your starting center and you feel good about that because right now you don't necessarily feel very good about him with the right. way he's played this season. But at the same time, I think better guard play will help more camaraderie. This line will help, especially if you keep Van Roden into next season and he keeps playing well. Uh, so disappointing so far for McGovern, but I don't think to the point where he's necessarily a bust signing. Yeah, and they did sign uh, or claim Pat Elfin, who, who's probably more of a, of a depth piece. He's not very good, but it does lend you to the idea that potentially you could give McGovern a little bit of a tryout at guard over these last few games, put a guy like Elfin or, or Josh Andrews or somebody in at center for a few games and just see how McGovern looks at guard in your system. But I, I agree. I think that, that McGovern's traits lend him uh, more towards being a center. I've been fairly surprised at the way he's played. But, you know, the center position is just so dependent on chemistry. And as I said a little bit earlier, offensive linemen tend to deal with a lot of silent injuries. So maybe he's hurt in some way that's affecting his strength. I mean, that was always the thing with Brian Winters that you'd hear that he tore his pec and played through it for 14 games. And it's just like, well, I kind of just wish he would have gone out because he was pretty bad. Um, But as far as what Joe Douglas can do this offseason, it really does depend a lot on on a guy like Connor McGovern, what you want to do with him. Because I think we know – if we're going to stick with what we were saying earlier, you stick with Fant and you stick with Becton, that interior is what needs some work. Um, you, I, I'd imagine that Douglas is going to try to target offensive linemen with that Seahawks pick. I personally, if a corner like JC Horn is there, I'm going to take that corner, but that end of the first round is a great area to get into your offensive linemen. That's where a lot of the top interior offensive linemen in the league come from. Uh, and they'll have their pick of the litter. If they want to go guard a big nasty guy like Trey Smith and pair him up next to Becton, you could do that and then roll with McGovern at center uh, or slide, I guess, McGovern over to right guard and sign a center. Uh, or you could go in the free agency route and, and sign a guy like Joe Tooney, who was rumored to be one of Joe Douglas's top picks and, and perhaps the only guy that Joe Douglas was willing to splurge on. If he shakes free from New England this offseason, like many expect him to, I could totally see Douglas targeting him using that cap space on a guy like Tooney. Um, and then maybe you use that pick and you draft a center instead of a guy like Trey Smith, you take a guy like Creed Humphrey or Josh Myers or somebody with that pick, or maybe in the second round. Um, or you could stick with the guard and, and again, roll with, with McGovern and center. I just, there's a lot they can do in that interior offensive line. I know, I know that that's something that Joe Douglas is ecstatic to do this off season. Um, but I think, yeah, it starts with a, you're probably going to cut Lewis. I think you bring back Van Roden. I think you're bringing back Fant. I think, and again, this goes, this will point to Joe Douglas's evaluation skills. He has to make a determination on if McGovern is more of a center or guard. Personally, I think you give him another year at center. I think that's what he's going to be better at. Um, And and I think this offensive line can, you know, our goal for it at the beginning of the season was that they're going to be from one of the worst in the league to league average. And I feel like they've done that. And this year, I think they can have they have a chance, especially with an elite franchise left tackle like Mackay Becton and whatever else Douglas is going to do this offseason. I think they have a chance to really move it into to the above average, maybe even the top 10 type of unit uh, in this league. I'm really excited to see what, what Douglas does with this position group. Uh, last few thoughts in the offense before we talk about the defensive guys. Chris Herndon, who had a brutal drop to open up the game. I mean, maybe his worst of the season. I mean, he's just a, he needs to see a sports psychiatrist. Uh, or something just the fumbles the drops it's clearly a mental issue we know he has all the physical gifts he was balling out in training camp so it's not 
like any of his injuries from last year are still ailing him. It just seems like a purely mental thing and he's in his head and that whenever that ball is in the air and it's thrown to him, he's thinking, Oh, don't drop it. Don't drop it. And then he drops it. it just, as somebody who was not a professional athlete, that's what it definitely appears like is going on between the ears with Chris Herndon, that it's just a mental issue for him. But to his credit, he did make a couple of nice uh, catches towards the end of the game, including a touchdown. Michael, what were your thoughts on, on Chris Herndon's performance today and oh, his performance on the season? Because you were saying in the beginning of the year, when people were criticizing him, you were saying he's getting open. He's just not getting thrown to now he's gotten thrown to a few times and he's had some pretty big drops, but those two huge catches today, what were your thoughts on, on Herndon's performance? Well, yeah, this was a really, it, it turned out to be an odd performance because the first target he got was just another classic Chris Herndon drop. I, after that, when I posted that he's making me miss Jeff Cumberland, so that's the that's the depth that it was at. It was a Stephen Hill level of drop. If nobody, if you didn't, it see was it, that was, it was like a wide open pass into the flat. It was so bad. <laughs> like I could have caught that. I mean, that's easy to say as somebody who's just sitting on their couch eating a bowl. Well, of yeah, you're physically capable of catching it. Right. Would you catch it in that scenario? There's a good, a very good chance you would drop it. And same thing for me. Whoa, we were both physically. Capable I, have you seen me play flag catch. football? I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a monster. But okay. Well, I think Chris Herndon would also look like a monster. <laughs> That's probably if Chris Herndon was playing in my in my Turkey Bowl games, he would probably win MVP. So I guess you're right. Checkmate there. But he started off with that catch, and then he comes back and he makes his best catch of the season after that uh, on the right side of the field, and then he makes uh, his then he uh, surpasses that in the end zone and makes a great touchdown catch, even better than that one. So easily his two best plays of the season. Uh, right after another bad drop. So after you, I think, but yeah, after you posted that about him needing to see a sports psychiatrist, I guess he did that. <laughs> Saw one at halftime. And then he was back to being 2018 Chris Herndon. But I mean, those two catches were the guy that, you know, we thought we were going to see throughout this season. Um, uh, an athletic, uh, someone who can get up there and make catches in midair, sort of like Denzel Mims can do. Uh, he had a lot of these acrobatic catches in 2018, and I, I thought we were going to see a lot of them this year, especially with that connection on scrambles with him and Darnold. Uh, but obviously, overall, it goes without saying how disappointing his season has been. But, I mean, we did see two flashes, finally, of something here for the first time. So if he can get going, I, I mean, I know for the most part we've ruled him out because he's been that bad so far. But if – he can get going over these last six games. That's definitely something you take as the Jets. You can right. use as much uh, internal progression as you can get across the roster from young players. So uh, he still had that 2018 season that still exists. It happened. It was a really good, promising campaign for a rookie tight end. Uh, his production is right up there with some of the best rookie tight end seasons in recent memory. Didn't get the chance uh, to really uh, build off of that in 2019. He only played in the one game against the Giants uh, and coming back this season, we thought he would, and he's been a complete disappointment, but we still do have six games left. And he finally showed some positive signs in this one. So if he can build on it, finish strong, uh, then it's definitely something you take as the jets, but still only two catches. So a long way to go for him to make up for uh, what he's done so far. Yeah. From a team perspective, I don't really believe in the whole, building on last year to, you know, people talked about the jets finishing six and two, and then we're going to build on that in 2020, unless you really have 90% of the same roster. I don't really believe in that, but from a player specific player perspective, I do believe in that. I think that right, if Chris right. can get some momentum going at the end of the season. I think that'll give him confidence heading into the off season. As far as what Joe Douglas should do at the tight end position. I think that 
first he's going to cut Ryan Griffin. I think that contract extension was a solid move at the time considering what Griffin was doing, but they do have an out after this year. And I think they'll take it. I think that'll it'll only cost them maybe a million in dead money. I have to double check that, but they can get out of that, that deal um, with Ryan Griffin. Uh, who's also been a, a, another disappointment hasn't really got much of a chance, but as somebody who said before the season started that he thought he would never be the same after that injury, that was just a major red flag for this season. I think that Hernson is a, is the ideal candidate for the post Adam Gase freedom watch. I think he's a guy that because we've seen all that potential um, in 2018, I still believe in Chris Herndon. Um, but I don't think you can I mean, I guess he's a candidate, but you can't blame Adam Gase for him absolutely, not. Absolutely not. But there is just something about changing the changing of scenery, the way he's being utilized. Um, yeah, I mean, Chris Herndon is dropping balls out there. It's not Adam Gase. But there is something to be said for, for a player's confidence in the way that he's being coached and the way that they handle a, a situation like this that I, I do think – that Herndon, that Joe Douglas shouldn't trade Herndon at his at his lowest value. I think you, you know, give him a role next year. I don't think you bury him on the bench either. But I do think you should bring in a, a competent number two, maybe even a number one tight end, and have that two tight end set with Herndon. If they if they go after a head coaching candidate like we think they should, in Arthur Smith, Johnny Smith is is definitely a guy to watch as the versatile do it all tight end for Tennessee. Um, and I think he'd be an awesome pairing with Chris Herndon. If not, you can, you can draft one. Um, but I think Chris Herndon needs some help at, at that position. He may end up being Batman, but for right now, he looks like he may just be Robin. Um, and even he might not even be a superhero at all, considering the way he's been dropping balls. But those two catches in this game and the six games that he has the rest of the season, he gets a chance to show what he can do, I think, with the new coaching staff as well. I still believe in him. I still think he should have a, a prominent role in the offense next year. But I think they probably put too much on his shoulders for this season and, and he's not living up to that. What are your thoughts on what Douglas should do in the tight end position? Do you agree with that? Do you think that they should try to move on from Chris Herndon? Do you think he should be the starter? Just your overall take on, on the tight ends in 2021. I mean, Herndon's definitely worth keeping around. I don't think there's anything to be gained with getting rid of him. I, I mean, unless someone wants to trade you know, something that is worth more than what he's given you so far, but I think he's worth keeping around at the same time though. You do need to, I think, and at least some, I think probably the day three of the draft is where you would want to look there. Trey McKitty. I, yep. Trey McKitty is our guy for some reason. I think he has like three career catch or three catches this season, but. Trey uh, McKitty's my guy, Michael. Let's let's, I, I called Salvin okay, Ahmad he, last he's yours. season. You, you built the train, but I'm now, uh, I'm now riding it with okay, you. Michael's so. now right. Just like Arthur Smith. When people tweet you. Yeah, exactly. Michael Nanny, a great article about Arthur Smith. I will say that I did call Salvin Ahmad last season. He's now a starter for the Dolphins. So my late round draft picks, I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I should be a scout, but then I, I go back to that, that Kaiser of Mahomes thing when I was like 17 years old and that, that kills all that momentum. So you did also say Jakeem Grant. Okay. Yo, Jakeem Grant. Okay. I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to crap on me for, for another bad take that I've had, but yeah, Jakeem Grant. So I've, I've got those day three guys pegged down. It's all about the YouTube highlights. That's my secret. You can tell within the first highlight <laughs> based on how impressive that is. Like I watch one nope, highlight nope, next one. Yeah. I go, I watch one highlight, the first play for all those day three guys. And if it's impressive, I'm put them on my board. That's, that's my scouting technique. You try it it's also based on how many cinematic replays you get. If we're getting play on play that's on true. play, this guy's good. But if you got to see replays and you got to see like celebration cuts yeah. and if it has and, like you know, really it's filler, this guy doesn't also, have anything. If the music, if the, the music in the video is terrible, uh, he's immediately off my draft board. 
Um, if they have a lot of like him celebrating and those like cinematic cuts, like you're talking about, yeah, he's, he's off the draft board, but I will say Trey McKitty <laughs> checks the boxes that Jakeem Grant and Salvin Ahmad checked. So I'm all about Trey McKitty is just what I'm, I'm calling it now. Yeah. Send, send this entire recording to Joe Douglas. I think he'll hire I'll, you immediately. I'll attach it with my Arthur Smith article. <laughs> if he sees that though, we're, we're definitely getting hired. <laughs> I think there's at least what he said, like a 10% chance that somebody in the, in the front office has seen that article. It did pretty well. I mean, that was the number one article in jet X history. So somebody had to have read it and be like, Hey, Hey, Chris Johnson, look at this guy. This guy seems pretty solid. If they get that interview, the dimensions that me and you are going to get, if he gets hired, regardless, I mean, that article is going to explode even more so than it did. I can't, I cannot wait for the coaching search. And I'm, I'm just going to be on the edge of my For them seat. to hire, yeah, for them to hire Jim Caldwell or Jim Harbaugh or anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it'll be the complete letdown. But, I mean, I think we were talking about the tight ends. So, to talk about the tight ends a little bit. I think day three, Trey McKitty, uh, guys like that with athletic upside are probably uh, who you're looking for. Uh, just to get some receiving ups, because I, I think you have blocking down with Wesco. I don't think he's amazing, but I, I, he gets the job done in terms of blocking. So I, I think you're okay there. So you want as much upside as you can get. But at the same time, I don't think it's the, you do still have some upside with Herndon, even if, you know, look, he's been terrible, but you do have some, you know, at least some potential there. But I think when, when you're looking at your moves at tight end, you want receiving upside for the most part. And I believe in blocking as much as anyone, but I do think Wesco has that down. So you probably want to be looking for uh, some help in the passing game. At the same time, though, I'd rather be looking for weapons at receiver. So tight end's probably near the bottom of my list of needs, just because not that it's not a need, but this team just has so many of them. Right. You can you can win with Chris Herndon right. at tight end, but you can't win with, with uh, Lamar Jackson and Javelin Guidry at corner. Right, exactly. And that's not to say Herndon's good, but it's just, it's tight end. It's something that if you can fill it, it's a major bonus, but it's not a position like uh, a a team can't win without a tight end. So uh, definitely looking for some help there. And it's a position they need to uh, hopefully get some more, just infuse something new into there to compete with Chris Herndon, Uh, but not at the top of the needs list for me. Yeah. And then I know I already said finishing up on offense, but Really quickly to touch on QB and running back, because I would say, given that Joe Flacco mm-hmm. and Frank Gore are starting there, there's not too much to talk about, but there is the Michael P. Ryan who did score a touchdown today. What do you think about his future on this team? Obviously, it's it's inexcusable at this point that Frank Gore is getting the majority of the carries. Um, although I, I love Frank Gore, I wish it was a better team for him. Um, you know, I really do think that we should get as many reps to p ryan as possible just for two reasons one the evaluation of him but also for himself i mean the more reps he gets the better he's going to be um my personal belief is that p ryan is not the long-term starter but he might be the long-term you know change of pace back and i think if you compare him with a guy in the draft or maybe you sign somebody to pair with him salvin ahmad is a free agent um i think that could be a really nice one-two punch for for the jets i think that p ryan has established himself as a solid capable running back in this league who can start if necessary. We don't, he could end up being a superstar running back. We just haven't seen too much of him, but I think right now we've at least seen, okay, he can at least play in this league. He's not terrible. He's probably the best running back on the Jets roster, but he doesn't really make too many guys miss an open field just yet, but he does have solid vision. He certainly can contribute as a, as a pass catcher. What are your thoughts on what, on what Douglas would do at the running back position with a guy like, um, uh, like Michael P Ryan, um, 
and we haven't seen too much of, of uh, anybody else that position that should be here next year. It's, it's funny that Kalen Balage is actually the running back release that hurts more than Le'Veon Bell, considering that Balage actually had a very solid game for LA today. And he's a guy that they could have held on uh, if he had not gotten Sam Darnold killed a few times in that Thursday night game. But you're just your thoughts on the running back position moving forward. Well, I, I got to be honest on P. Ryan. I've, I've been very positive about a lot of guys in this podcast, but P. Ryan is not a guy that I'm too high on right now. I, I did you. like him a How lot dare you. coming in for his, you know, the potential to be the guy that you're talking about, that running back to. But so far, I haven't really seen anything. I mean, you talk about the inability to make guys miss. That's kind of a running back's job, and he has <laughs> been near the bottom. of, uh, I think, bo- uh, yeah, about bottom five in missed tackles force per carry throughout the season. So that's obviously not good. He hasn't shown much long speed when he has gotten to the second level. And in terms of vision, I don't think his vision is good either. There have been a lot of the holes this season that he hasn't been finding. And he's just been uh, very, very one cut, very downhill. So, so what does he do? Finding the cut. It, that, I mean, I think the point is he doesn't <laughs> do anything. That's kind of my point here, honestly. Do, do you think Douglas should have targeted maybe a higher ceiling pick at running that is back. that is what just we because about. you know when that pick was made there were higher upside running backs available who might not have been as steady all around as p ryan was but they did have more speed more open field moves things like that and and, and with, when running back is as replaceable as it is right you right. should probably target the yeah like, you, you would prefer the upside because right. like look at the free agent i'm looking for the list right now free agent running backs there are just so you, it's hard to go wrong. James Conner, Todd Gurley, Mike Davis, Kenyon Drake, Jared right. McKinnon. So if Jamal, you're in that position, Aaron Jones, like, and we, and we praise, and we praise Douglas. I, I see what you're saying. And look, I don't think there's any running back picked after P run. That's necessarily balling out, but I think Anthony, Anthony McFarland, I think was the guy that we had pointed to as who had the home run speed. And it's like, if you're in that position, I think that's a really good point that maybe another, Look, I don't want to say miss because I still think that Piran's going to be on this team for a while. The reason we it's only it's only ten games, right? And he still could be. I mean, look, as a rookie running back in the NFL with a solid offensive line, but not an amazing offensive line. The more reps that he gets, the better he's going to be. So I'm not trying to discredit Piran at all. I think the reason we we praise the pick, and I still think there is some positives to to that pick, is Douglas entered that fourth round saying, "Who are the guys that I can get that can contribute immediately?" And Piron is certainly that. But when you have a position as replaceable as running back, when you see guys like Kalen Balage signed right off the streets and having great games, maybe you should aim a little higher, not really worry about the floor. Because if he doesn't work out, you can always sign a guy like Kalen Balage, hell, even Ty Johnson, and play him and get similar uh, production. Running back is one of those positions where it's just so easy to replace, despite the fact that they touch the ball on at least 50% of the plays, they're highly replaceable. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not bearing him yet. It's only 10 games. And look, the Jets <laughs> emphasizing Frank Gore as much as they have does definitely doesn't make any sense. It's, the production between them hasn't been too much different to really warrant it. Uh, so I definitely think he should be getting more touches. His career is not over after 10 games. All I'm saying is that so far, I mean, I haven't really seen anything. I mean, I'm in in pass protection, there have been flashes, but he did have uh, that one game. I believe it was, I forget exactly which game it was, but he had that, I believe it wasn't the Miami game. I forget which one it was exactly, but he had one game where he really struggled and uh, that I definitely was worrying. Um, so uh, I, I just, I'm just saying so far, he really hasn't, I mean, I haven't seen anything in the run games that I like from him and that can definitely change. 
but uh, at least so far it hasn't turned out, but it's okay. It's a fourth round pick. These picks do not, even that running back uh, do not pan out too well. Like you said, no, there isn't a single running back after P Ryan who, uh, who was drafted after P Ryan that has more rushing yards than him right now, or is even averaging four yards per carry on a high, uh, on a high volume. So it's, it's hard to hit these picks. So it's okay. Right. It's and, if he doesn't hit it, it's not a complete miss, but uh, all I would say is that next year, let's take another shot. Take another third, fourth right. round running back. Right. Uh, Pirine doesn't block that from happening because he did it this year. Just keep shooting, and eventually you're going to find someone yeah. who really works. Yeah, I think, and that's that was, you know, maybe Douglas would have taken the higher upside guy if he really believed in him. I think he probably just looked at Pirine and said, look, there's a good football player who's going to be on our team for five years. Uh, I'll take him and then you know, to what you're saying next year, if Najee Harris is sitting there in the second and I really like him, maybe I take him or maybe I sign somebody or I keep, just keep taking those shots. Um, so definitely not crapping on Douglas for that pick. When you, when you make the point that there really hasn't been any running back picked after him, that's been better. P run has had a very solid rookie season, but nothing, nothing special. Like some Jets. I, mean, fans I, wouldn't are making say solid, though. I really don't think it would be solid. Cause you look at this offensive line and their individual numbers, they're okay. run blocking average grade, they're, average they're he's he's come in and been competent carry are all like average middle of the league but p ryan's numbers in terms of broken tackles okay. his overall yards per carry are like bottom of the league so okay. he's but, been way below okay but trent richardson was taken third overall and then he he was running straight into his center's backside every so at least he's competent is what i'm trying to say maybe i shouldn't say solid solid is a little too generous but again this is what six game playing so give him a chance. And he also had a good training camp if you listen to the bit, but I mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely giving him a chance. I mean, I, I just look at this offensive line and I see not that they've been amazing, but I definitely have seen enough to where, I mean, 3.6 yards per carry from P. Ryan coming into this game against the Chargers. I think there's definitely been room for a lot right. more than that. Bell averaged the same, uh, about the same last season behind a much worse offensive line. Uh, so I I definitely think the potential has right. been there for a lot more yards have been left on the field, but again only but, ten games. Yeah, the, get better. The caveat is that there's six games left, and, and we'll he see deserves if, a lot more touches. Right, he's he's only getting half the carries. Um, let's get to the defense because I don't think there's really much to say about QB and Joe Flacco's a thousand yard stare on the sideline. I mean, he just inspires zero confidence. Whenever they cut to him, he just seems like he's. I mean, often in La La Land, I have no idea what's going on between the years, but for, for Flacco, but he's been probably better than Darnold. Um, and in some ways, although I'm looking forward to watching Darnold again, because seeing a young quarterback for the Jets play well is exciting. And it also builds up the trade value for Darnold. They're not really getting anything out of having Flacco play well. Um, it's really only beneficial, beneficial for the Jets to have Flacco play poorly. Um, I, I will say quick 30 second break before we go to the defense. I am somewhat interested to see what they do at the QB position, assuming they get a guy like Trevor Lawrence, because then you have the, the, um, conundrum with James Morgan, who isn't even good enough to be a backup yet. Do you bring in, and I'm of the belief that if you have a rookie quarterback that you should bring in a veteran, bring in a Mark Brunel type, who is that for, for Mark Sanchez or Josh McCown, who is that for Sam Darnold to mentor the quarterback. He doesn't necessarily need to be amazing, but provide some stability you can say, Hey kid, I've done this myself. Here's, here's what you do in this situation, blah, blah, something that the coaches can't really communicate. Um, and James Morgan can't really do that at this point. So I think you're looking at another year where James Morgan may be an inactive third string QB again, but the hope for Morgan is that he can play really well in that preseason. That gives the Jets hope for him being a backup in 2022, or maybe even attracting some trade interest, which was part of the, the reason the Jets took him is that you put together a few preseason 
few good preseasons or your starter goes down, he plays well, you can get a Jimmy G type of uh, trade for him. That's at least the ceiling. But um, looking at the defense, um, a lot more rookies um, playing with Bryce Hall playing out there, Jabari Zuniga, Ashton Davis, all getting meaningful snaps and starting the trenches again. What were your thoughts on their performance? I thought Quinn and Williams is a guy that, and if you had said to us at the beginning of the year, and I know we said this on this podcast before that, Makai Becton was going to be as good as he's been. And Quinn and Williams was going to have that breakout year that I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I thought he was going to have, I mean, I was really looking forward to it, but it almost felt like, and it wasn't like he was terrible or anything last year, but it, it was kind of reminding me of that Vernon Golston thing heading into 2009, that well, Rex Ryan's the guy is going to get him his second year. He's really going to get jump started, And it just never happened. Don't think Quinn and Williams was ever as bad as Vernon Golston, but I was kind of worried that he was going to be, he might just be a, a run stuffing defensive tackle who gets his two sacks a year and is a solid player, but not worth a third overall pick in the draft. But if you're going to tell me he's had the type of progression that he's had and Makai Becton was going to have the type of year that he's had, I would have thought the jets would have won at least eight to nine games in the season. uh, If not more. In fact, it's the complete opposite. Um, Michael, what have been your thoughts on the defensive line, particularly Quentin Williams, my least favorite player on the team, Henry Anderson had an outstanding game today. I think as you joked earlier, I think he's probably the number one guy that we don't want to see making any plays. I think we can swallow pretty much any other player on this team making plays outside of just veteran bum Henry Anderson, who will under no chance, under no circumstance be on the team next year. Um, but yeah, just your thoughts on that, on the defensive trenches. Yeah, you're right on Henry. He played a legitimately good game in this one, which isn't very fun to watch. Probably the last guy we'd like to see playing well right now. But Quinnen's had a great season, came into this game uh, with the most uh, run tackles per game, uh, most run stuffs per game, talking about tackles that held the runner to less than two yards or two yards or less and no first down. Most of those per game among all interior D linemen, more than any safety or edge rusher. So in the run game, he's elevated from pretty good last season to uh, maybe the most dominant player in the league on the defensive line. And then the passing game, sacks haven't been there, but look, the sacks are not going to be there. Uh, I mean, sacks have been up for him compared to last year, but still not at a super, they're not going to, he's not going to get them at a super high level when your coverage is so bad that the quarterback can get the ball out right away when he's stunning a lot, like he still is in this defense, when you have no edge rush, that's to force the quarterback to step up. So the sacks are not going to be there, but the pressure has been there all season. He came in uh, in near the top of the league in terms of his pressure rate. In this game, he definitely had a bunch of pressures that he'll tack on. Uh, he had a half sack and another quarterback hit and a few more pressures in addition to that. Uh, he's playing really well. And the production is, in terms of sacks is, I mean, you, you can't look at sacks to evaluate how well guys pass rushing because they're so dependent on so many other different things. And Quinnen right now is on a team that is not giving him the things that he needs to get sacks. But the real impact comes in, you know, your pressures, that pressures and, and what you're doing against the run is more so, it more captures your overall impact on a snap to snap basis. Sacks are just so infrequent that they're great to get, but you can't judge a guy's hundreds of snaps per season on his handful five to seven sacks in a season and use that one number to judge how well he plays. Quinnen is playing great this season. He's doing what he needs to do, and he's taking a big step up. And once the Jets finally get some corners and they get some edge rushers, he'll get his big sack numbers that he'll get that will get into Pro Bowls, all pro teams. But uh, aside from all of, uh, all of those things, 
Uh, just if you look at what he's doing on film, he is playing very, he has played very well this season and uh, definitely played good against the Chargers. Right. And defense, I mean, we've been doing a little bit of the looking at forward to what type of moves Joe Douglas will we'll try to make in the offseason, not predicting anything. We obviously have months to talk about the type of players, but just an overall preview of who are the guys in the roster that are going to stay. But defense is a little harder because it's a lot more scheme dependent. Obviously, you know, there, there are scheme fits for an offense, but for defense, I don't know if the Jets are going to be a 3-4 or 4-3 next year. A lot of that has disappeared in today's NFL. A lot of teams play multiple base. Um, but if the Jets are 4-3, it vastly changes what they're going to do, what type of linebacker they're going to be looking to bring in, what type of defensive lineman. But I, I am happy with the prospects that the Jets have on the defensive line. I imagine they'll probably end up drafting somebody in the third or the fourth or something to bolster that defensive line. We haven't really seen too much from Zuniga yet. Um, but between Franklin Myers, between Quinnen, uh, Nathan Shepard, I guess Henry Anderson, but I don't think he's going to be here. Foley Fadokasi. There's a lot of things to like in this unit. And as is the case with many teams around the league, it's one among the Jets' better units. Defensive line is just one of those positions that a lot of teams have very solid, good defensive lines. There's a there's a leap to get to the San Francisco level of, of great defensive line, but the Jets have a very good defensive line. If Quinnick can keep taking the steps, if, if John Franklin Myers uh, and Foley Fadukasi keep developing like they've been, they've been developing, there's a lot to like from this unit. Um, but certainly not something that I'm going to be investing premium assets in unless the Jets are playing a 4-3 and that edge rusher is going to be a hand-in-the-dirt 5-tech 4-3 defensive end. Then in which case he, he would be a defensive end. Um, but assuming the Jets stick in the personnel that they have right now, um, I, I would say that I, I don't think the Jets should put too much um, of their assets um, into the defensive line. Looking at the linebacker position, I think the one guy that you really just have to talk about is Harvey Lange. I mean, he's been all over the place the last two weeks. And originally he was a great special teamer, but not much else. And he's really developed and look at week one against Buffalo. He was terrible at inside linebacker, but over the last few weeks, he's really developed into a guy that I think can compete for a starting gig next year. I think him and Blake Cashman are going to be competing against each other. Obviously you're going to get CJ Mosley back. I wouldn't be surprised if they brought somebody else in. Maybe they bring back Neville Hewitt, but given all the needs around, you know, at corner and at edge, and building out the offensive line receiver, maybe they do just bring back Hewitt, Mosley, Cashman, and Lange and just have um, those three kind of compete uh, to, to start alongside CJ Mosley. What are your thoughts on, on the inside linebacker? And then the edge position, we'll kind of tie it into the defensive line here. We got a little bit from Bryce Huff. Uh, Jordan Jenkins had a solid game here. Do you think Jenkins is a guy they bring back, or do you think it's one of those things where uh, where he can walk and, and the Jets maybe go after a guy like Matthew Don? Maybe they do that and bring Jenkins back and draft somebody. There's a lot to, to add in that edge spot. Um, but I will say the defensive line is getting a lot of interior pressure that just the corners are so bad that we're not really seeing the fruits of it, but if they can add a legitimate, maybe one or two legitimate edge presence um, that those corners are, their performance isn't going to matter too much. Um, just, yeah, your, your thoughts on, on the linebackers and the edge. Yeah. Well, we'll first talk about Jenkins, then talk about Lange, but I, I think there's a place for Jenkins on any, NFL defense but just the problem with the Jets has been that he's been your number one guy on the edge for five seasons now which is just crazy to say that he's been here that long and been their top guy that entire time uh, but there's a place for him on any defense he does offer you some ability uh, to stop the run it is, it, he's a decent all-around player in pretty much every facet but if he's your best edge rusher then you probably have the weakest edge group in the league, which is what has been the, um, the fact for the Jets uh, over the past five seasons. So 
can should he be brought back? You know, sure, by all means, especially at the price they brought him back this year. That I think that is definitely reasonable. But the Jets, it's it's time for them to finally uh, make this position uh, a priority. It's something they haven't done for a long time. Really, the biggest investment they made was drafting Jakai Polite, uh, and that obviously didn't work out all too well. So even in free agency, they haven't done too much at that position. Uh, and then you know. Other than polite, they haven't done anything in the first two rounds in terms of edge rushers. So they've ignored a very important position for too long. And now that they used this offseason to really emphasize the O-line, now I think this is the offseason to emphasize that edge position, both in the draft, you have you know, two extra high picks in addition to where you probably take a quarterback and you have plenty of cap space. So I think it's time sign a guy like either Judon or Ngakwe, which one, whichever one shakes free, Bud Dupree, whoever you can get, and definitely make some moves there. Uh, but Jordan Jenkins, by all means, bring him back, but only if he's you know not your top starter. That can't happen again uh, if the Jets are going to start competing. But, but then an inside linebacker, Lange, like you said, Buffalo game was terrible and never even played on defense anymore. It was only on special teams. But now he's been thrown back out there, and he's, he's shown some things, played really well against New England. Uh, in this Chargers game, uh, I don't think he was as active, but he did have uh, some good plays. There was one really clutch uh, third down stop he made, uh, I believe, in the fourth quarter to force a field goal. Um, so he's definitely put himself in that conversation to compete uh, for that starting spot alongside C.J. Mosley. And we'll see how many starting spots there are. We don't know what this defense is going to look like with the new coordinator. Will there be, you know, one every down inside linebacker and then a rotation next to him? Will they have, you know, two or three linebackers playing pretty regularly? And if they go to that four, three, and if they go to that four, three, are they going to need to add a four, three outside linebacker? It's just, yeah, Yeah, I mean, exactly. Because right now they've had, you know, pretty much two every down linebackers the entire season. Uh, But, you know, they could go to a system where maybe Lange's more of an outside uh, linebacker off the ball or, you know, a Will or Sam linebacker, but. Uh, we'll see what happens, but he's definitely, at least the past couple weeks, put himself in that mix. He's a re- uh, restricted free agent after the season, so the Jets do have, you know, the ability to hang on to him, or, you know, if he plays really well, maybe get some draft compensation back for him if someone does want to sign him. But uh, it, it's good to see someone, emer- a young player emerging at inside linebacker. You thought it was going to be Blake Cashman. He hasn't been healthy enough uh, to make, uh, to show himself, in that position, but uh, Lange has emerged as that guy, which is promising. And he's not young, he's 28 years old, but at least in terms of his experience, doesn't have uh, a lot of snaps on tape. So he is, you know, an unproven player who doesn't have a lot of mileage. Yeah, I totally agree on Lange. And, and I think he's a guy that uh, we've certainly been critical of, but I will say you called it when we were doing our 53 man prediction is like, this guy's totally going to stick. He's an elite special teamer. We'll see if he can make the jump. Um, to a defender and then of course you know michael michael the gm i guess you you get uh one of the I, chalkboard. I get some stuff right i yeah. get some stuff right yeah i mean you were wrong about jason myers and you were wrong about sam ficken so i don't know if you can evaluate kickers because i'm all about team sergio and then you were tweeting me saying that Wait, sam how ficken was i was wrong about sam ficken i didn't say you were he- tweeting me you were tweeting me when sergio's first game i forget which one it was i was tweeting out it's sergio time and then you were responding to me with sam ficken kit you know gifts and pictures basically saying like how could you you made yourself yeah, very. I think up- I was being sarcastic. I don't know. I don't believe that. Yes, I think, you're, yes, I think you were as serious I'm as you were. I'm not a Sam Ficken fan. I think, I'm not a I think fan. you were. I think you were a fan of, of the Schnoz and, and you wanted him to be. I was a Brett Maher fan. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Who was the other guy before Jason Myers that you're a fan of? Um, 
Oh, I can't remember his name. Ross Martin. Yeah, Ross Martin. That's what it was. <laughs> Lack of Edwards. You have, yeah, you have an affinity for terrible special teamers, but it's all about Team Sergio. It's Sergio season uh, from here on out after Fick had missed those those two. Yeah, I, I'm just keep him rested for next year. Let let Ficken keep driving the tank. That's that is true. Uh, last but not least, the secondary. Actually, probably last and certainly least, the secondary been pretty terrible um but who can blame them missing their best corner and brian Poole, a lot of rookies a lot of young guys out there um i do like the safety duo of may and davis i I think they maybe could use a third safety um to kind of balance out some of their weaknesses but i love watching the growth of ashton davis may made a terrific play on the goal line in the first quarter um which i thought was arguably his best play of the year but then you remember he had that butt interception and may's had some really good plays this year a little less consistent than a guy like Jamal Adams, who's actually been fairly inconsistent this year, but may is a damn good football player and a guy that I think should be brought back. Uh, if, if, you know, unless it's a crazy offer from another team that they have to match. Um, but the corners, uh, you know, Bryce Hall, clearly his strengths rely on zone coverage. I think he did some good things today. Uh, not amazing, but when you look at a fifth round pick starting at, at outside corner, I think him and bless Austin will um, have a chance of these next six, game, six games to show that, one, maybe both, probably not, maybe neither, uh, deserve to be a starting quarterback, uh, cornerback next year. I think you can have a Hall versus Bless competition. They're both going to be presumably the outside starters for the rest of the season. If, if they play well, um, they can certainly solidify their spot uh, in the rotation for next year. But the Jets defense clearly missing a number one corner, maybe even two corners um, in addition to losing their slot guy with, with Brian Poole. So uh, that cornerback position and the edge position needs a complete rehaul uh, overhaul, excuse me. Uh, and, and Joe Douglas just needs to redo that entire position. So Michael, your thoughts on the secondary from today, um, obviously two rookies in hall and Davis, um, but probably an underwhelming performance considering the way that Justin Herbert sliced and diced this defense, um, all game. Well, yeah, there's definitely going to be a lot of opportunities, uh, with Pierre Desir being cut and bless Austin on injured reserve. So, you know, there's going to be snaps to go around and Bryce Hall in this game, I have to say, they were targeting it, uh, targeting him a lot throughout this game, but I mean, I mean, there's that one catch that um, I, it, it was Mike Williams uh, that he made against him. That was a perfect throw and catch. Uh, I saw him make. Uh, I saw Hall make some good tackles in space. I mean, I'm not saying he was good, but I mean, for a rookie, and uh, I, I posted the numbers uh, I think last week, but rookie cornerbacks this season have been really bad. Every, pretty much every single cornerback drafted has struggled this season. It's been a position that has been the most affected, I think, by this shortened offseason, unique circumstances, uh, for whatever reason that is. But all of these rookies have been struggling, and every single one, every single qualified cornerback coming into week 11 was ranked in the bottom half of the league in yards allowed per cover snap. So literally everyone has been struggling. So Bryce Hall, I definitely expect him to have a rough season based on that, especially as a fifth-round guy who – didn't get, you know, didn't even practice until late in the season and then just got thrown right into the mix. So I definitely expect him to struggle, but long-term I, I love the value in the fifth round. I was asking for him way up in the fourth round and then they got him in the late fifth. So um, it, it's definitely, I definitely think he's going to be a good player. His length, his ball skills that he showed at Virginia were really good, especially as a zone corner. That's what he did well in college. And that's a lot of what the NFL is now definitely a, a lot more, uh, you know, cover one, cover three, dropping into, you know, deep half, deep third kind of zones, more so than man to man. And that's what he did really well in college. So I think 
he's going to be a good player, but I do expect him to struggle throughout this season. So uh, hopefully he stays afoot, you know, gets some valuable reps, shows some flashes here and there. And, and that's what I think he showed in this game. You know, overall, was the production good? No, he's probably going to get hit with over 100 yards allowed in this game. But I, I think there were definitely some reps where you saw, okay, there's, there's stuff to work with with this guy. I can see why he was considered a first-round prospect before his injury. And I, I'm definitely confident in Hall being good. But I don't think the production is going to be there this season just because rookie cornerbacks have had uh, such a time this season, uh, such a hard time this season, which I guess is good for the tank. But, but again, I long-term, I feel good about Bryce Hall. And in this game, there were moments where I, where you could see definitely uh, some of the tools he has to work with. Yeah. And it's Pierre Desir has been terrible this year, but he's kind of the free agent, the type of free agent signing that I think the Jets should make next year. In addition to drafting somebody relatively high, especially if you trade Dar- Daniel Jeremiah thinks the Jets can get a one for Sam Darnold. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think they can theoretically get a two as long as he plays fairly well over the next six games or five games, whenever he returns. Um, he does have a little bit of a knack for at least his rookie year. Those last four games clearly dropped, boosted his stock, hoping the Jets can have a similar stretch for Sam Darnold, four to five games where he plays really well, but they lose all of them. Boost his trade stock, get a second round pick. Um, there's going to be a lot of teams, New Orleans, Chicago, San Francisco, that that need that type of young quarterback to build around. If they can get an extra second, then I think you can definitely attack corner there and then make a mid-tier free agent signing there. And then you're looking at, you have your free agent, you have your young rookie. If that's a guy like JC Horn, he's a guy I'm a really big fan of. He might not even last to the Seahawks pick. And of course it depends on the board. And then you also have Brian Poole, who's among the better slot corners. I think he proved this year that 2019 was not a fluke. I mean, he wasn't as good, but he was still a very good corner for the Jets in the slot. And then you have Bryce Hall, who's at that fourth corner, that depth option, who can continue to grow and hopefully take that free agent starting spot and bless Austin to round up the depth. Um, yeah, it's a unit that Joe Douglas is going to have to do a lot of work at. I mean, it's it in order of importance, I would say, um, or at least in order of, of work to be done on. I would, corner might be the number one position that he has to, to address, but it's between corner and edge, and edge is probably more important. So maybe edge one, corner two, receiver three. Um, but even then, it's you got to address the interior of your offensive line. You probably want to get another running back. You might need another tight end. You look at the linebacker position. There's a lot of work to be done in this roster and those position groups, especially corner, you're trying to add two, at least two guys to each of those. So Douglas clearly has his work cut out for him. Um, and, and, you know, I'm kind of glad that we had just had an opportunity to kind of go through these different position groups and just see how each of these, uh, these spots are, are looking I'm agree with you though, on, on Bryce Hall, I'm, I'm pretty high on him. I do think he can be a starter in this league especially in a a zone uh, scheme. Davis, uh, I also like. It's yet to be determined if he can be that natural strong safety. He might need to add some weight to his frame, but then the concern there is that you you take away a guy's best asset, which is his speed. So maybe you keep him small and light and and have lightning in a a bottle in that box, but he's only going to get better with with the more plays um, that he plays and and can increase his recognition of of what's happening because just so much of the safety position is instinct. Um. But that is pretty much going to do it for us, Michael. Any last thoughts on on this uh, this team? Uh, you know, obviously, none of it matters in, unless they have the right coach. But I'd certainly think that this this is not a nightmare, dumpster fire, terrible situation for Trevor Lawrence, whoever the head coaching uh, who head coach coming in uh, will be. Um, or I mean, they might finish zero and sixteen, but I would reckon that 
you know, they're better than the 0-16 Browns. They're better than the 0-16 Lions. They just had a lot of stuff go there, there, you know, against them. But when you look at the assets and, and specifically the draft capital um, and the competency in the GM position, I, I'm, I'm still feeling pretty peachy about this. Maybe it's just my, my, uh, my rose colored or my green colored uh, glasses, but I, I just feel uh, pretty optimistic about this unit. Just six more losses to go. As I tweeted, I, you know, I'm pretty sure that the 2003 Cleveland Cloud Cleveland Cavaliers are, are, are pretty happy they lost their games and ended up with that number one pick because that's kind of what it feels like. You have LeBron James waiting for you, that franchise generational 15-year starter, um, and you just have to lose a couple of meaningless games. So let's hope the Jets can get it done. My ideal situation is not for them to go in 16. I hope the Jags can pick up a win, maybe against the Bears, and then we can just cheer for them week 17, knowing the Jets have locked down that number one pick to, to finish 1-15. and 15. And then, then we can have some dignity. We can beat the Pats, and then we can know – uh, what awaits us after the season. But Michael, just your last thoughts on, on this win, this team, and, and where the direction um, Joe Douglas has this roster heading. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm definitely not as down on the future of this team as you know you would expect for an 0-10 team. But I think it's really important to finish out the season, clinch that number one pick. I, I do not enjoy rooting for losses. Like I want to see the guys in this team play well. But as, you know, a fan of the team, first and foremost, uh, the most important, uh, the number one thing right now uh, that is within their grasp that can push them the closest to winning a Super Bowl in the near future or becoming a team that is capable of winning one is getting Trevor Lawrence and everything that comes with him, increasing the viability of your head coach opening, increasing the attractiveness of your team to free agents and not just free agents and the head coaches, but the assistant coaches, the front office members, it just brings so much to your team to have that asset of the most promising quarterback prospect we've had in quite some time. So there's a lot that comes with him in addition to just being the, you know, again, the best prospect of the most important position in the game that we've seen in recent memory. And I think it's really important for this team to get everything that comes with Trevor Lawrence. So I don't enjoy this at all, but it's, it's important for this team uh, to get him over, you know, winning meaningless games. But if they can do that and at the same time do what they've done the past couple of weeks, have important young players show progress uh, and, and inspire confidence that they can be part of the solution going forward, like they have in these past two games, then you're doing everything right. You're getting close to that premium asset and the guys that you do have are playing well and uh, building a foundation that you can, you know, move forward with and uh, build your team around. So these last two games, if they can get uh, six more of these would be great. More preferably this version on Sunday. I thought this was pretty much the ideal scenario where they get, you know, out to a, a fast start. So you get some fun yeah, plays yeah, for early. Our, for and our then, viewing pleasure, it would be better for this game. Yes, because then they got down Patriots by this game. I was, I was stressed out. That was stressful. I, I would say that was the most stressed I've, I've, ever been uh this whole season um and arguably going all the way back until um what week two of last week one of last year of, of 2019 i mean i was screaming well, cowboys, probably cowboys cowboys game, game i guess yeah. like, i always forget about that cowboys game the small glimmer of hope and an otherwise terrible season um but yeah i mean i think this was perfect they get down early to an insurmountable lead and then you have the rookies particularly denzel mim mims lead them all the way back they were still down eight. So you could, I could basically cheer for them to score touchdowns knowing that they probably weren't going to win, win the game. Um, whereas last week, last week it was the opposite. I was cheering for them at the end of the game to, to lose. And I thought they were going to win. And that was a lot more stressful. If they can have a lot more of these games where they have terrible 
second quarters uh, and maybe first quarters as well. And then you have a great second half, but it's just too little too late. That's perfect. I love the stat padding. It's the Blake Bortles special where he, where he end up with like 35 fantasy points because he throw for two touchdowns in the fourth quarter down 40. Um, that's, that's what I'm cheering for out of Sam Darnold and, and the rest of this Jets unit. We'll see when Darnold returns, you know, I would just keep him completely. Uh, yeah, I think the, the goal is you just keep him sitting on the bench until he's completely healthy with that AC joint sprain. I don't think there's any reason to play him. It's going to just keep damaging his shoulder. Um, and all you're doing with him putting bad film out there is driving down the price, uh, the, the, the price of the trade. Sam Darnold is almost better in theory than Sam Darnold has been in reality. The big draw to Sam Darnold is that he's only 23 that he's been under Adam Gase, that what he's done in 2018 and 20 and the, you know, parts of 2019. It's, it's the hope that is so attractive of Sam Darnold. It's not necessarily what he's put on the field. So don't put him out there unless you know that you're getting a fully hundred percent um, healthy Sam Darnold who can, who can boost his, his stock. Uh, otherwise just keep losing with Joe Flacco. Um, but yeah, that's going to wrap it up. I'm, I'm, you know, as I said, I'm glad we, we got a chance to just kind of look over at the state of the, the roster for Joe Douglas kind of fighting back against the whole uh, this, this roster is an absolute train wreck there. Yeah. It'll take probably two seasons for them to be back in the playoffs, but you add a guy like Trevor Lawrence, they have a lot they can add between free agency and, and, and the draft. I think they could be a much better team this year. I think Carolina is a good team to look at where I, hopefully they have more wins than Carolina has had, but they're a really competitive and well-coached team week in and week out. Um, and I have no doubt that Matt rule is going to have them as, as a playoff contender. Um, either next year or the year after that. Um, so that's that's kind of the hope for, for next year where, where Douglas can take this. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We have six more games of this hell and then, um, you know, even nine months until until we get to watch the 2021 Jets. And hopefully that's Trevor Lawrence under center. But you can follow us at CYJPod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania, myself at Ben W. Blessington. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Jets X Factor, which is the best place to go. For Jets content, we are also sponsored by Manscaped. Use the code CoolYourJets for 20% off and free shipping. As I said, that'll do it for us. Michael, any last words? Um, let's go uh, Let's go, Dolphins and Jaguars and um, the a million other teams in the strength of schedule tiebreaker race that we need to win. Yeah, they, was it a good day? I'm not, I know we're, we're going to lose our momentum. Yeah, was it, it a good it day was, for the, the strength? It was, it was a good day, even though they didn't, they only, there were five games that mattered on Sunday and that they only got two of them, but they got the most important one by far, which was the Houston Patriots game. Jets needed the Texans to win. Texans won. And that helped them move. Uh, at least as of this recording, it's going to change a little bit with this. Uh, the Jets are going to go down a little bit uh, after this. Uh, Sunday night game but at least as of this the Jets moved from trailing the Jaguars by 0.043 to now 0.033 so pretty significant all right for one week that's that's yeah and look I mean I would just love the Jaguars to to pick up another win and really secure that that first pick um because as I said I don't want to go in 16 but yeah the strength of schedule could really help us out here um but certainly if you haven't seen Michael Nanny is rooting guide he tweets it out every week or we'll put it on our Twitter you can read his article as well, just so you know exactly who to root for every week. I know Jags fans are probably saying the same thing about the Jets, how we're playing a lot better. Maybe we pick up a win, but I will say Jags are looking better. I, I think the Jazz can beat the Bears. They could even beat the Browns. They can beat the Colts. I mean, the Jags are not a terrible football team. I think the Bears in week 16 is, is our best chance um, to, to to cure that buffer, and then we can go full out cheering for wins because, as you said, Michael, I don't enjoy this, but it's it's a necessary evil. So that'll do it for us. Thank you for listening. I hope everybody had a great week. 
Uh, and as I said, I think it was nine weeks ago at this point, don't let the Jets ruin your life. Six more weeks of this hell, and then sunshine awaits. Go Jets.